0: It's June 8, 2020. This is Rook. there were already some document that had been written that connected Iranians to each other? What if it were an historical fact that was poetic, profound, and full of pathos and pride? What if it involved myths and magic and magnificence? Okay, so it exists, and it's a not-so-secret code amongst Persians around the world. The Shah Nameh is over 1,000 years old, but the stories still resonate. And today, two guests who spent years finding ways to creatively tell its tales in accessible forms, Hamid Rahmanian and Bruce Bahmani, on literary treasure, artistic measure, and the lack of support among Iranians for our own culture. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Episode number sixteen of Rook. Hi there, Azizan. Hope you are Mizun, taking care of yourself, whether quarantining, uh or gradually getting back to some sense of mid-pandemic normalcy, or out on the streets in protest and spreading your voice. These are uh undoubtedly heavy days difficult to see clashes with police and military soldiers, quite literally, with civilians in the cities of America during the protests against injustice, police brutality, systemic racism, Uh, but also inspiring to see so many around the world moved by the events of recent weeks and wanting to have their voice heard. Uh, All of this discussion and more with a particularly unique perspective uh, with Tehran von Kastri. Uh, exists on our most recent episode, uh, uh, the show we just did a few days ago. And I have to say, it's already become one of our most listened to editions of Rook. Uh, We're hearing from a lot of people who are grateful to Tehran, who's a a comedian based in Los Angeles, uh, for calling it as he sees it, as a black man and an Iranian, and calling out our own community to a certain extent and the paradox of Iranians in the diaspora being victims of racial discrimination on the one hand but sometimes also engaging in or being quiescent around discriminatory behavior ourselves is a powerful interview you 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 can hear it uh well it's the last edition of Rook before this one so if you're listening on uh on YouTube or SoundCloud or iTunes and you haven't heard that one um Check it out. How are you, Shia John.
1: Oh, I am very well. <laughs>
0: you, you have your piano. You don't even t- need to talk. You can just ch- talk through the piano. How are you, Shia? Very nice. It's like a, an electric piano sound or like a, um, what do you call that? It's, Mellotron or something. No, it's electric piano. Electric piano. You know, uh, <laughs> thank you, Shia. <laughs> You're lulling me into the show. <laughs> uh, and that, so, if you were having a bad day, and I said, "How are you, Shia? What would you? What would I? What would it sound like?" Uh,
1: probably bad day or sad day or a if bad day. It's kind of horrifying.
0: That, right. Oh, and what if you were extremely excited? It's been an, a fantastic day. That's just uh, weird. Thank you. That was great, Shaya. Some of your best work, I think. Some of the <laughs> yeah. best uh, music you've ever created. <laughs> um by the way, I asked you on the last episode how you felt about the Shahnameh. Oh, yes. And Actually, what did you... I I'm very excited for
1: this episode. And,
0: yeah, yeah, because you love the Shahnameh, right?
1: I'm yeah, I love Shahnameh. Actually, I love lit- literature, Persian literature, but uh, especially I love Shahnameh uh, because it's you know it's uh, uh, it it keeps our language alive hmm. yeah
0: well i think then hopefully you will uh, love this episode of yeah. roka let's get to it to it what defines us as people of iranian descent what is the the string connecting the contemporary iranian to the ancient persian empire and if you ask many in the diaspora, they'll tell you in a heartbeat, it is the Shahnameh, an epic poem written by the Persian poet Ferdowsi somewhere over a thousand years ago. It's the, the national epic of greater Iran. Well, my two guests today are two fountains of creativity who have wanted to bring that epic to Western audiences in various remarkable art forms and have succeeded in doing so. I'm going to be joined by Bruce Bachmani in California a little later. He's been responsible for bringing the Shah Nameh to life in comic book form like a superhero series featuring Rostam and others, and has done so to the appreciation and enjoyment of many Iranians around the world. We'll get to Bruce, but first to New York. Hamid Rahmanian is an Iranian filmmaker and graphic artist who migrated to America over two decades ago and combines his love of traditional Persian art forms with modern technology to create new works of art that visually bridge the gaps of East and West. In 2014, Hamid was honored with the John Simon Guggenheim Fellow Award. His work has been exhibited in international competitions and publications. His films have screened all over the world. Hamid undertook the immense task of illustrating and commissioning a new translation and adaptation of the Shahnameh entitled Shahnameh, the Epic of the Persian Kings, that was in 2013. That best-selling 600-page art book, was lauded as a masterpiece by The Wall Street Journal. Then in 2017, Hamid released an immersive audiobook version of Shah with an introduction by Francis Ford Coppola. In 2018, he released a pop-up book entitled Zahok, The Legend of the Serpent King in English and French, which received the Megendorfer Prize for the best pop-up book and was hailed as simply breathtaking by Le Monde. His multimedia stage production of Feathers of Fire, an adaptation of the story of Zol and Rudabe from the Shahnameh, has toured internationally and received critical acclaim. It uses an innovative combination of live actors, puppetry, light and sound called Shadow Theatre. Right now, Hamid Rahmanian joins me from New York today. Hello, sir.
2: Uh, Hi, Jian. Thanks for having me.
0: It's such an honor. Your work is so remarkable. I I hope you've managed to weather the COVID storm in New York so far.
2: Uh, Yes, I actually, it seems my lifestyle was always uh, been in quarantine. I just didn't know (laughs) the lingo for it. (laughs) Now I know I just, I usually live in quarantine, especially last 12 years. (laughs) when I start working on the Shah Shahnameh project, I'm literally I'm in quarantine. I'm just people asking me. So when did you migrate it, and where do you live? I say, I mean, I migrate from Iran to one corner in Brooklyn Heights, <laughs> and I'm sitting there for the last.
0: The advantage of <laughs> being a, a loner artist has finally <laughs> emerged. <laughs>
2: yeah, a friend of mine was telling me now, Hamid, people know how you work. <laughs> this right. is how I work. <laughs> yeah, you basically you dr- deprive yourself from the social life to just create uh, a meaningful and culturally motivated art because it feels that it's kind of like a... It, it is a responsibility for me. I feel it so i have to sort of take that responsibility and isolate myself.
0: Okay, but t- tell me what that responsibility means. You're you're one of the most prolific visual and literary artists in the Iranian expat community and one of the very few who've managed to expand far beyond ethnic and language barriers. What motivates you to do what you do? What do you mean by responsibility?
2: Ajian, uh, you know when i came to the United States, uh 20 Six years ago, I came here to become a graphic designer because I studied graphic design in Tehran and I thought, okay, I pursue my career and my love for the design in New York, which is like a macro of design. But when I arrived, I felt that uh, my culture is under attack. Uh, Everything I hold dear in my culture and my civilization or uh, my love for this... uh, a nation is under attack and everything is, goes through the prism of politics and religion. And I became basically an underdog and I felt there is also, there is no content from this um, uh, new immigrants, uh, demographics that they migrated from Iran. Right. There's not much, much content either, or political content, or the activist artist uh, content, or is the academic content like study of calligraphy or study of architecture. There is nothing there. People that can, just commoner people, like uh, layback people, can enjoy this culture, or this uh, wealth of uh, treasure that we we have to offer to the rest of the humanity so i thought maybe you know i can uh, sort of focus and change my direction just doing graphic designs, things like that to something more meaningful and more effective To my new home which is in america uh, so and uh, i started making movies and then i Change the direction to making uh, the, basically using Shah Nome as a vehicle to carry the visual tradition of the last right. six hundred years right. of Iran. Yeah,
0: there's a lot there that I want to get into. I ju- when but when you say. You came here and you thought, okay, I'm coming to the mecca, the mecca of uh, graphic design in design, New York. Yeah. And then you realize you're an underdog and that Iran is under attack in terms of the things you would say, I, I see, I presume, in the media or what, what is said about uh, Iran and Iranians. Do you, do you remember how that realization happened? Was there a precipitant? Was there an event whereby you realized that? or was that a, uh, and, and did you not expect some of that coming from Iran?
2: Uh, to be honest with you, I was not, I was very naive, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to go there and people are going to, you know, understand what's going on, you know, but I felt when I came, uh, and it from the day that I walk into, because I studied for my master, I studied uh, computer animation at Pratt Institute, I mean, I like just walk into school and interacting with the with the faculties, and then I start, like, a, you know, hanging out with people, and I realize people have no idea, and... Let me also, in parentheses, uh, say that when I say Iranian art, because Iran has a three major sort of identity: We have an Iranian identity, we have a Islamic identity, and we have a also modern identity. So uh, it's, it's a combination of these three different uh, sort of um, characteristics of Iran that makes it right now in 21st century what is Iran. Because mm. you cannot devoid like uh, the art of you know the the effect of islam into iran and also a vice versa effect of iran to the islamic war and also the effect of modernity last uh, 200 years in iran and also the the idea of the the nationhood and iranianness which came long before right. that but now in 21st century we are dealing with these three components so my art i and my encounter was somehow to bring all these three into one plate uh, and uh, sort of I felt that I should educate people I should uh, give them uh, sort of the highlight of the culture just emphasize on the highlight of the culture because anything you hear is just the negative part everybody sit down with me and talk to me let's talk about all the negative stuff oh, yeah. okay uh, about the religious zealist, about the political the, the mismanagement of the country and things like that. But for me, I think, you know, there was much larger portrait of Iran because you basically, Iran is a symphony and you just hear few notes from the last 40 years <sighs> and that based on that notes that you decide, okay, this is the whole symphony would be. So I try to give it a little bit of more uh, nuances and give m- more notes to attribute right, more right. notes to that symphony. You,
0: you know, when I was, uh, by the way, I think you're, you're, you're receiving emails or something while, while we're, uh, we're hearing a regular ding there, but which is fine. Right, let, me, let, me, let me turn off. I, I, uh, I'm aware of whenever you get a text message please. during this interview. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yes, it, I just turned it off. Okay. You, you know, you know what was so interesting Hamid in in preparing for this interview because um to to talk to you because I know you as the guy who if anything in terms of your art I've always associated you with Shahnameh for obvious reasons. It's been a big part of the art that you've done. And it was so interesting for me to read in, in, in some of the background uh, that I was understanding you more, that that you've said that growing up in Iran as a kid, you were actually never a fan of Shah Nameh. Um, so So I'm curious why and when and why that changed. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, Shoname is huge. You know, I, I was scared, and my father was trying to sort of chase me around, <laughs> around the yard. Just come sit down and let me uh, read for you or read for me. It's uh, you know, it's like any other epic stories and mythology. You know, if you start reading Iliad and Odyssey, you know, sometimes you are getting there's some chapters in Iliad. I think it's the entire chapter is just the name of the people getting to the ship. So it's, <laughs> right, you know, right. it requires certain kind of dedication to actually go through this text, which is the very convoluted. There's a lot of plots within the plots, and it's is a kind of like a ca- characteristic throughout all the epic stories. Like if you read the uh, Ramayana or Mahabharata, it's this: Oh my God, these two families start from one part, and they, the story goes through totally different plot lines. So Shahnameh is the same. When I growing up, I was afraid. It was too complicated, too many stories. I couldn't connect. But when I came here, I thought this is the, as I said the earlier in our conversation, I found Shahnameh could be a good vehicle to carry the visual culture of our land. Again, uh, I think the highlight of our society and our culture is our visual tradition and our literature. Mm. And something that dis- distinguished us from a, d- a different part of the world is these two. and uh, and I felt that I can emphasize on that and also translate it to the uh, generation that are familiar with the uh, um, you know star Wars, yes. Lord of the Rings, yes. Game of Thrones. So I just want those people also became familiar with these stories and with a very accessible way because, To be honest with you, I gave up kind of an adult education, so I'm sort of focusing on kids and the younger generation. So when they grow up, they have already seen something positive about this part of the line.
0: I I have to tell you, I mean, knowledge of the Shah uh, doesn't just separate Iranians from Westerners. It 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 separates many of those like you who grew up in Iran versus those of us who grew up in the diaspora. I, I'm a bit embarrassed to say, but I never really knew much about Shahnameh, uh, on, uh, the Shahnameh, until I I became more interested in my roots as an adult. It, is the work you do also aimed at Iranians like me?
2: Oh, definitely, because you know you need to have something to be at least proud of your. Heritage. We cannot really travel with our civilization, but you can travel with your culture, and that culture needs to be flourish and need to be uh, spend time and life in it to be uh, recognized. Uh, This has happened to other demographics, like uh, the Irish, Italian, Jewish. You know, when they came to the West, they migrated. They met hardship they rejected uh, you know if you read like a 1850 1890 new york times about uh, like italian or irish you would be stunned at uh, the derogatory terms that they use for these people but now they this group of people they start um, creating content uh, from their culture and then they consider it as a white man and they be accepted right and the way I actually uh, I also produce this work, it's kind of uh, trying to become absent in the creation. If you see the book, I'm not there. Although I create the whole book, but mm-hmm. you see the culture and you see the tradition. You feel that this book has existed like five, five, four hundred 400 years ago. But I try to hide myself behind the illustrations and behind the work. So people, they don't go through my... Uh, basically medium and go to the work that directly connect with the artwork and uh, culture.
0: You know, I I want to get into some of the cultural divisions that you just alluded to. But two steps back, you mentioned Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. I have to tell you, I mean, it can feel like a relic, you know. When you first encounter the Shahnameh, this old book of myths and poems, and when I first started getting into the Shahnameh, this a true story, a few years ago, it was around the same time I was watching the first season of Game of Thrones, this massive hit TV show. Yeah, and I right was thinking, right. wait a second, our version is actually better writing than the HBO one. <laughs> have, the, have the parallels been something you've pondered? I mean, as the Game of Thrones was becoming the biggest television show in the world and you were working on these epic theatrical or art versions of the Shahnameh, you must have thought of
2: those parallels, right? Oh, definitely. Actually, the world of Game of Thrones is very similar to the world of Shahnameh. In Shahnameh, you have one king who sits in the, Estakh, the city of Estakh, and then you have all these knights that are king of their own domain, and but they are subordinate to the main king. And now you have in Game of Thrones, you have also one king who sits in the king's landing, and you have all these knights that are king of their domain, but all subordinate to this uh, seven uh, realms which is also ironically i mean coincidentally in shahnami you have also seven realms as so you have a god of lights. and you know there's so many similarity between uh, this uh, kind of myth uh, mythology and epic tradition with the modern which is it's a characteristic of all mythology and epics are it's a lot of uh, similar characteristic. Chain them together. I mean, as
0: a sidebar, when you were yeah. hanging out with Coppola, uh, could you not have mentioned to him, <laughs> "Hey, buddy, uh, let's do a, a thirteen part series for Showtime actually, on uh,
2: you know"? Yeah, it was actually interesting encounter because actually I uh, it was a, a gathering and the Coppola has. Uh, saw so the book and he was talking to a friend of mine who was Iranian and he said, you know, I know about Shahnaman, I have this edition illustrated, it's so beautiful, it's very uh, nicely translated by Dr. Sadri and everything and my friend said, oh, actually this guy is in San Francisco, he said, okay, let's have coffee with him so <laughs> my friend called me and said, Do you want to have a coffee with Francis Ford Coppola I said, what, are you kidding me <laughs> So we went and we sat down, we talked about Shahnameh, we talked about the mythology, and it was he uh, was very sweet, and uh, and I told him, you know, I'm making all these puppets and I'm creating this uh, show. Uh, I was actually uh, uh, influenced by Lotti Reiniger, the German animator who made the, the Adventure of Prince Ahmed in 1926, which is uh, considered the very first feature-length animation ever made so based on that i'm creating another show and i'm so he came uh, to the backstage to see what we are doing and he said when you're uh, and opening when you open the show let me know so make the story short i invited him he came once and he came twice and he came three times wow (laughs) he came three times to the show and he loved it and he wrote the nice for me and then and later on a year later when i start making uh, the audiobook edition of shahnameh which is fully sound design sound effect and especially for you that you just mentioned uh for people who grew up outside of the iran and their farsi it, perhaps it's not very um, uh, good you can actually listen to the audiobook which is fully uh, transformed into like a uh, basically, I create the sonic landscape of the epic for 12 hours. Mm. And then I send it to Francis, and uh, he really loved it. After two months, he came back to me and said, I love this. This reminds me of childhood. I was listening to this kind of radio show, and it's no longer exists. I said, since you love it so much, why don't you uh, read the introduction? Because I need the stamp of the approval of the white man, and this, <laughs> because that's how we actually... Uh, brown immigrants we can get into the mainstream to somebody from uh, white culture to give us doesn't activities. hurt doesn't hurt to and have a couple <laughs> as uh, so he 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 laughed and said yeah i'll be honored that would be great so he he was actually traveling to uh italy somewhere for the wine tasting and he <laughs> was kind enough to went to studio and he recorded that the introduction and send it to me.
0: I was gonna. I was gonna say. You know, I had the chance to interview Francis Ford Coppola many years ago. It was probably 10-15 years ago. And and uh, I, of course, it, he was very, he was very nice and lovely. But I kept on wanting to talk about his incredible cinematic legacy, and all he wanted to talk about was his wine. So yes, so yes. I hope I hope he's, you got to have some of his wine when you were visiting yeah. with him. You know. Uh, yeah,
2: he's actually made a comment about when he came to one of the show. Uh, another uh, one of the spectator went to him and asked him so about the Godfather and uh, and he got a little bit. Uh, AG said, "You know, I
0: made this film forty years ago. <laughs> yes, I'm not yeah. interested in the <laughs> <book>. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, that's his hit song. You don't want to be asked about it every time at every concert. Take take me back to to leaving Iran, because it occurs to me when you, you know, when you talk about leaving and and coming to New York, the mecca of, of design and 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 for schooling as well, that makes sense. But then you end up staying, Hamid, since you are so connected to our ancestral culture. Why have you decided a better place for you is in the diaspora as opposed to going back to Iran? You were already being lauded as an artist there. You could probably, presumably, have a good career there as well, no?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, you just uh, told me what my father and my mother was kept telling me. It says, just stay here. You have life, you have mm. a, a fame, you have a lot of fans. Why did you, you decide to leave?
0: So, yeah, <laughs> They Why? were
2: talking about this all the time. But, you know, this is what happened Uh, the first uh, six, seven months I was in the United States. I really wanted to return because I felt that I'm kind of, it's not my place. Uh, Imagine you are in the height of your career and you left Iran you came here. I didn't come here as an exile or had some political issues or nothing. I was... I had a very successful graphic design firm at the early age of 20s. I had like 12 employees when I was 23 years old. Yes. And I'm making a killing. I was making a lot of money. I was just uh, very successful. But I, it was before Khatami, it was the, the situation in Iran was a little bit uh, complicated, um, as always are. <laughs> but during Khatami, it changed a little bit. But before that, uh, I study and then I read a poem and that poem sort of direct me and inspire me to leave the country and When I came here the first six months I was saying that I really didn't want to stay until I went to see the uh, In the Metropolitan Opera. I saw a friendly performance of Don Juani mm-hmm. And it was so massive and so fantastic and I thought I remember I left the 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 metropolitan opera and i left i was walking on the the front yard and just telling myself you know what i'm gonna stay here i want to make something like that yeah (laughs) so (laughs) i'm 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 determined to stay here to sort of pursue this kind of grand uh, because there's you can you can actually feel that okay this is your dream and you can create something grand as that scale of Zephyr did De- at the Metropolitan Museum
0: well you've uh, done opera. it you've done it so you so, I mean so. this 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 latest creation feathers of fire a Persian epic this involves shadow theater this has been applauded by fans and critics alike and you've gone on to stage it in 23 US cities six countries an audience of over 100,000 uh, it's it's so interesting that you should you should talk about Don Juan and, and seeing that and and because I my, my first question to you around this one was going to be how do you this is very ambitious to 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 uh, and and what i'm what I'm gonna do is while we're talking about this, for those people who are listening to us on YouTube, I'm gonna put up the um, some images from this because it it really is an epic stage show, what you've created. When you conceive of something like this, do you actually realize how big this is, what you're trying what you're going to try to do? This is incredibly ambitious.
2: Uh, yes to be honest with you few I, I had a lot of nightmares and waking up at the middle of night I was just like in this I remember actually once I was in tears just like oh I'm gonna put these things together this is so massive and I don't know nothing about it you know I learned a uh, technique from Larry Reed uh, which is the who's the shadow master uh although i learned the style from it? but i changed it because i add all these digital components like the change the source of the light i introduce animation into it and i choose all these colors and choreography which is is new to this form so it was a, a very complicated uh, time-consuming labor-intensive process Uh, but when you see people leave the theater with the tears in their eyes not iranian americans or americans comes to me with their kids and they i mean i have two incidents that the american one in iowa like a typical redneck you know big (laughs) american walked into me with his his hand with his uh 10 years old son and says you know what my son just said I said what he said it's, when the show finished, he turns to me and said, Dad, it's cool to be Persian.
0: Wow. You know,
2: this is this is huge. In the middle of Iowa, in the, middle <laughs> right, right. Of the red state, and the kid, 10 years old kid, they just feel that is connected so much to these stories and these cultures, and he comes out, and he said, Oh, it's cool to be me? Because uh, usually it's opposite. I'm trying That's to right. be... <laughs> them
0: (laughs) you've accomplished what no one except the iron sheik could accomplish
2: (laughs) so if you can expand this if there is a support if there is a sort of people who comes around this flag that i'm holding yes we can actually achieve a bigger bigger audience not just few uh you know hundred thousand is really nothing it's a lot, but it's nothing.
0: Well, for a stage so show, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you've done, and the show received the 2019 UNIMA
2: award for UNIMA, excellence yeah. in in live performance. Yeah, UNIMA is, UNIMA is like an Oscar for a poor puppeteers. By the way, you know, the, no, no one knows, but this is in the world of puppeteering, is like a, the highest uh, achievement. In I the figured
0: because the U N I M A <laughs> was all in uppercase, it was very important. I knew it was important. <laughs> Have you considered the, the producing a version? I mean, with all you've just said. The show is in English. Do, do, you must have thought about. I'm sure you're going to get the requisite Persians who say uh, <laughs> <Farsi? laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, "Allah Hamid," the Farsi. yeah, all version time. of Farsi you
2: know. yeah.
0: So what do you yeah. say to that?
2: Yeah, I love to perform for Iran, but you know, my audience, to be honest, as I said, it's. I think the Iranian. They have their own uh, understanding of a culture and. It's, uh, but for me, it's, as I said, it's a, like an active, uh, cultural activism. I'm working here to create art for the non-Iranian who are not familiar or anything about, know about us. It's all negative and it's, uh, it, it goes through sort of the, the filtration of the political and the media yes. here. Yes. Uh, so that would be my uh, I mean like I'm making another show I'm making actually uh, last year and a half I'm uh, Working nonstop, creating another show. It's called Song of the North and this is even more elaborated than Feathers of Fire Feathers of Fire is like a picnic compared to this one uh, <laughs> It has over 250 puppets over 200 backgrounds. It's it's huge but uh, but the thing is whether it's in Farsi or English I, as an independent artist, independent, uh, basically, the lover of the culture, uh, you, you need uh, support from the community, from the institutions to do that. Even look at in history, like Mich- Michelangelo wouldn't uh, paint Sistine Chapel unless the church would help him. You yes. know, it's, uh, the money and creation of art is always hand to hand. Uh, so that's the thing. Iranian, they love me to do things, but uh, they love me to say things. But if I ask them, okay, why don't you come and spend some money and translate the show? <laughs> and then see how many Iranian come on board.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting that's you should thing, say that. Yeah. You joke, but I mean, do you, do you think the... Um, the Iranian American yeah, community. You,
2: cry inside. Well, you
0: know, I mean, I <laughs> you're not the first to say this. Do you, do you feel like the Iranian community in the diaspora is the support network it should be for artists like yourself?
2: Hey, my art is a communal art. My art. I'm not. I'm not making an art to put it in the museum and that's it. And then. Uh, it's the art for the community, you know. It's, it exists. You can pick it up in the bookstores, you, in the on, online. See it, show it. To your, you know, it's just something that is a building content uh, for immigrant group, and that immigrant group uh, don't help. To be honest with you, I mean, the few helps came. Here and there is very complicated. Why do you
0: think this is? Unf- why why do you think Iranians yeah, don't? Uh, is, uh, because I, it, I, I it a would
2: a lot d- of thoughts about this. This is I think first of all this is historical. It's not just belong. It's not for me. And like even Ferdowsi has a, 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 a he praises few people in the Shahnameh, and one of the people is the name of the governor of Tus, uh, whose name was Huyakotai or Potai, whatever uh scholars they wouldn't call him but this guy was a governor of truce and was an arab descendant and he was the only one who actually helped him to Firdausi. no one around him all the, the Iranian uh who were around him the help him on any level and he praised him in his book that he's the one who's wants me to uh, recite poetry but not for free but and this is uh even like in t- uh, turn of the century i learned something that sayyid jamaluddin asadabad the uh, islamic scholar he has a, a lecture that he says we muslim uh, d- uh, d- uh, united in one place mm. and that place is not to help each other <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this is our common ground and this is resonate with me every day you know all this project i'm doing last 12 years you have no idea how difficult it is to fundraise this is so complicated and none of this project is actually bring back the money that's spent in it but sure. because you know you have a sold out shows here and there and you have so the best-selling book people under the impression that i'm making a business out of it but this is not true because people if you're in the publishing world you know the yes the royalty that yes. comes from the illustrated book is grim is minuscule and the show for the families is also is not the broadway show for adults or and you also is a traveling shows no traveling show in america makes money none they're all subsidized the only shows make money is if you sit in one place and perform for a long time otherwise it's not the business endeavours. Or, the or if you have no business. overhead,
0: you're a comedian alone on stage with a light or something like, you know, then then you probably make money if you're touring a, in, in big theatres or something. But with the kind of production that you have, uh, no, right. it's, it's... And under- also
2: it's a family show. Family shows, the price of the ticket is low. We never receive actually price of the ticket. We usually get the presenting fee. But anyway, that's another story. But the thing is uh, a- a- Iranian who also helped me before, now they don't because they feel that oh, you're making a lot of money off of these shows. you are doing this. At some point, actually, in one incident, I send my tax return to one of these people. Just like, believe me, I'm not lying to you when I say I need money. Like for my pop-up book, for the pop-up book, which is in that magnificent and so beautiful and, you know, just there's no-brainer. Yes, yes. It took me eight months online fundraising, begging literally Jean, I begged people yes and uh, just to give me some and, I, and we have a non-for-profit organization. These are all tax deductible. I think it's not priority for them because they have established culture for thousands of years. So they feel okay. We've been around for thousands of years, and so who cares? It's not necessity like a minority. It's like Jewish people opposite. They think that you know, if we build our culture, we can build yeah, everything else. Yeah. That's the, like a maturity of this group. Of I,
0: I wonder if it has something to do with um, a lack of appreciation, like a socialized lack of appreciation. You know, we make the joke. About our Iranian parents saying engineer, doctor, or lawyer, but that this has an effect, right? It has an effect in terms of what the status is seen as. Uh, uh, you, you know, if you're if you're in anything I've ever done in my life, which is which is music or entertainment or communications or media, none of those things have much status compared to you know that the, the old uh, tropes of of engineer and doctor. And I wonder if that starts to have an effect over time where it's just not valued enough the arts for 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 people to care to fund it do you think that has something to do with it
2: that's a valid point uh actually i never thought about that way that's okay our education is always um uh you know being doctor or engineer even my family we had such a hard time to become artist because uh they feel that i'm a failure because my math was very bad and i had a very bad score in my biology, class, right, so that's why right. I chose to go to art. Right, it if you were growing up in
0: France or Germany, <laughs> you would be a massive success, not a failure. But culturally, <laughs> it's like you know, it's embarrassing. He didn't do well in math. You know, I mean, that's. <laughs> not- <laughs>
2: <laughs> huh. Yeah, I was one of the worst uh, students in my high school to these days after like 30 years when I have a nightmare I have a nightmare that I'm in the high school I can't pass the algebra test
0: <laughs> but there's another weird thing that I've encountered which is Iranians don't like They, I mean again these are big generalizations obviously but on the one hand they don't like you if you're not a success so you're not worth if you were just some artist in Brooklyn you know not, the, not doing very well, then, you know, and, and not mad oof, you know, then, then, right. it's, then it's not, well, we can't invest in this guy. I mean, he's not, yeah. he should be, why doesn't he go back to school and become an engineer? But then if you are successful, it's like, well, he's doing well. Why do I, why does he need my money? Oh so my it's gosh, a double-edged yeah, sword, you right? told
2: me something from my heart You just nail it. Yes, exactly. When I'm not successful, it said, okay, why do we have to help you? And when I'm successful, you're already <laughs> successful. Why do you need my help? <laughs> It's uh, <laughs> exactly yeah. this is exactly what and I I I had this uh, I encounter people like that many times, man. Yeah, yeah it just and it's sad because they shoot them, by not helping me, they shoot themselves on the feet. Because first, uh, engineer doctors are respectful. The economy is are great, but what's remained from us is our culture, and we and uh, me as uh, this kind of art. That I'm creating it's something is gonna remain from this group of diaspora Iranian yes. they should they they should they must help me to, uh, and also let's let's look at it the other side when people say oh why don't you write the grant to the American foundations and, and I have to tell you uh, with my career with all this successful I, uh, career and all this content that I created 99 point nine more nine point nine percent of the time I get rejection from American uh, really? institution because the American institution looking for issues they don't look at the if I uh, find someone who are talking about the highlight of the islamic culture or iranian culture they're not interested they want to see okay if i my where is my stand about the women's in iran where is my stand about this in iran where is my stand and just they want all these hypes these current affair things uh-huh. if you don't talk about this you're not part of the discussion you're not and also if you're a muslim man I mean, that's another story. You're, you're the you have there is basically nothing for you. You're you have no narrative in the society if you are a Muslim man. I mean, if you are a Muslim woman and you have some narrative, you are being subjugated uh. by Muslim man. So anything you have, you are subjugated by my type.
0: Okay, but <laughs> so, but Hamid,
2: there is no
0: grant. But but forget <laughs> beyond not getting grants. <laughs> you, you said something earlier too that was kind of interesting. They put an asterisk next to you, you said. Uh, you you alluded to needing the ratification of of, of a white man, uh, in this case being Francis Ford Coppola, who you know uh, even even he, as you said, a hundred fifty years ago wouldn't have been considered necessarily a white man because yeah. Italians were discriminated against. But 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 how how has that played out? I mean, have you experienced animosity or dismissiveness towards your artwork because you're a migrant artist, because you're an immigrant, because you're an Iranian? Uh,
2: it's not the animosity. They just 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 don't play with you you're not part of the game and if i yeah, if i'm having all this thing because you know first one is finally like exotic or two is because i scream so loud that somebody can hear it or i knock on the door of every single person who writes for me uh, it's not the system comes to support me. I go after the system. Can you do this? Can you please write this? Can you, you know, I have a story here. I have a story there. Could you please? Is nobody knocking on my door. Oh, how we found these things? Let me write for you. Nothing. It never comes like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very, the uh, time crunch. Because in one part of my life, I'm creating. and the other part, I'm just knocking people's door for money or publicity. Because you need that. Uh, you need this. I mean, Right now, you know, it's actually an interesting topic because right now we are dealing with all this racism and uh, white supremacy yes. and all these things, which is like, a, you know, they basically destroying the life of these poor African-American people. And and, uh, and that's one part. I mean, they're destroying their lives. Uh, for us, like coming from the Muslim society, they they basically ignoring our culture. They're destroying our culture, basically that for the black people they destroy their lives for us they destroy by by not even the the, the uh, make makes you to be part of that discussion right. unless yes if you criticize iran you make the things are women of iran is like this iranian societies like this politics yes you you enter to the part of the discussion other than that they don't i mean i give you one example in 2006, I made a very successful film, uh, t- seven, it's called The Glass House. It was a portrait sure. of the charity center in Iran who helped the, these marginalized girls to come back to the society. Very well received. I made it with the American money. And I just went to Iran to shot it, came back. And so when I entered to the Sundance, the, the criteria for Sundance Film Festival, if you make the movie with the American money, you are entering to the main competition. But for me, because I'm Iranian, they put me in the world cinema. And I, I object when you are, why, have to, why I need to hmm. be getwise? I need to be in the center. I If American goes to Afghanistan or Pakistan or anywhere else to make a movie, you come back, you go to the mainstream. Sure. Main, main competition. Why have to be in the margin and getwise? So this is happening all the time this is not just one incident and it's not just do you yeah. think
0: it's because you're iranian or do you think it's because the content is uh is based in iranian either the shahnameh or the glass house i mean you're you're dealing with content that is iranian directed no, I in other words easy. if you made a movie because, if you, you know, if you made uh, uh, silence uh, of the lambs or something would you do you or i mean something to do with a, a story in new york would, would do you think it would still be a challenge because because you're not a white guy,
2: um, I haven't done that, so I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is what I'm encountering. Because uh, look look at this: the when the be translated by British people, everybody, oh my god! When the be translated by Ahmad Sadri, there are so many obstacles. You know, you have no idea how much how much rejection for the grant we got because uh, our translator. Is not up to the uh, sort of standard of the, the grant officers, or or why did my translator is uh, so, uh, sociologist not trying to translate Shahnameh? I mean, this is the only time actually Shahnameh translated by the Iranian, and I have to say, it's the most eloquent and articulated translation of the Shahnameh ever been done. It he did a magnificent job. But still, you're talking about the Dick Davis translation. Yes, Dick Davis is great, yeah. but so much flaw in the translation of the Shahnameh. He, he, he skipped so many plots. But but everybody praising because you know why? Because he's British, the British. You know, some Westerner, white man, came say, "Oh, your culture is great," yeah. and then we Iranian go around this or uh, say, "Oh, yes, so there must be something in our culture that the white man likes it." But
0: you know what? I mean, the, like, the, let, me, the, let,
2: let me give you an example. This is a very good example. When Francis Ford Coppola read the introduction for me, uh, it's been uh, that part of introduction. It got way, it got way more publicity among Iranian or outside than the actual audiobook that I made. <laughs>
3: yes, of I mean, course. I,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People are more interested in Francis Ford Coppola said about Shahnameh. So actually, actually, you, you should go listen to what I did for the, you know nine months. I locked myself in this uh, my studio. I create this. A unique audiobook. There is no audiobook in the market like that. And then but people are not interested. People are interested. Oh, that white man says But the most frustrating
0: this. part to me of all of this and I, I, I wanna do some separate programs on this and maybe devote more than one to it because but I know it's very sensitive for the Iranian community. Uh, the, the the most frustrating part is then you will get a lot of Iranians and even those who are listening to you right now who will say or think what are you talking about, hastin We're white. Why are you, why are you saying you're not white? Why are you somehow yeah. so well, Aryan, Caucasian? We're that, you know. And this in the face of, I mean, uh, again, I've mentioned this book on this program before, but Neda Makhmuleh has a, a really great book on this called *The Limits of Whiteness* and and talks about how there's this real dis- disconnect between the Iranian community saying, in some of the Iranian community saying, we're white, we're just like everybody else, and and then all the discrimination that happens against Iranians in America. Say that proves the point that whatever you think of yourself, you're not considered white by a lot of people, you know. Yeah. So, this is a and, very and frustrating
2: actually, and actually, you should tell like your listener also you have to spend money on the culture. If you're sitting, a, a talk is cheap, you know. People like when 300 came out, oh my god, this is the wrong portrait of the Iranian, and when they like uh, the, the talks, they talk about Rumi, you say, Oh, the Rumi is Iranian, but they don't see that. 300 they spend like over 100 and something million dollars on that show the the turkey spend over i don't know five six million dollars a year on the promoting Rumi, kunia uh, and all these things but i i have i right now i have feathers of fire online for 495 for four five less than five dollars and you know what i it's just basically nobody's watching it I mean, like the entire Canada, when the tear put the ad into the so far. As of today, eight people in Canada watch this show. Eight people. In California, when they did. Uh, when they did uh, here, the Farhang F- Foundation did amazing uh, the promotion on the website everywhere. I mean, the Masjubani was kind enough to do it on his Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. The entire California, it was forty-three people watched the show. Wow. That's all. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, it just uh, it, it's it's a five dollars. You don't want to even contribute to my work for five dollars to build work for you. And then you come and sit down on the Facebook, say, oh, we Iranian, this, we Iranian. I mean, the the talk is cheap, but action requires money. And then it's $5, $10. I mean, ask yourself a question, how much money you spend annually on your culture? I mean, just put the set, like, okay, I do $50 annually, annually for one year, I spend $50. And they should be. It should be something. How much like did that. How much money you did,
0: did you spend last week on tough tune? Uh <laughs> You know, <laughs> why? Why no, a culture? Ca- you know, I
2: put four four ninety five because it's the price of the café latte in New York. Right. I thought, you know, okay, it's a café latte. Just you know, if you and this is you watch feathers of fire, you enjoy it with your kids, and then it's uh, is a soul cleansing experience. It's uh, it's wash your soul. It's just the turn off your the media, you know, you basically find a refuge in the world of shadows, and uh, and then enjoy it for five dollars, five dollar less than five dollars. They don't do it, no. You mean uh, but, Okay, let me, not, let, me, yes. let me play
0: devil's advocate for a second. <laughs> Wouldn't a lot of non-Iranian, uh, white, whatever you want to call them, American, Canadian, English artists, graphic artists, theater makers, etc., have the same complaint that people don't, don't value the so-called high arts enough that they're going and watching The Bachelor and not watching uh, 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 Feathers of Fire? I mean, how much of this is about being Iranian and how much of it is about the disconnect around uh, arts
2: these days? uh at first i don't consider my art is a high art i think i make art for the masses mm. for uh, regular people um you you might be right you know it just maybe people not interested in watching this kind of thing but for iranian community who mostly listening to this this is part of their culture yes. and they need to watch this they need to support me because i'm the one uh, basically single-handedly <laughs> putting all my life yes. and dedicate all my which I love it you know I'm, I'm doing it this with love and passion otherwise I wouldn't even sit down the hours of hours of thousands of hours to create this work but they need to recognize for building cultures you they have to spend and support the artists mm-hmm. like me they have to do that. This is their cultural, their duty to do that. They can't just like on the Facebook or things liking and disliking and making comments. That's a passive way of communicating. And if you want to be seen and be recognized and as who we are and we claim who we are, we need to bring content. We have to create content. This is, this is the formula. It's happened for Italian uh migrants it happened to jewish migrant it happened to irish everybody who came to this yeah. western world they create content cultural content in order to be accepted in the society, I'm yeah. so
0: glad that you're saying what you're saying, and and honestly, I I intimately relate to it right now because even now for us, we've started the show about this Iranian diaspora, and we get these amazing comments. This is so great. This is what we need, and we kind of say, "Well, yeah. that's great. You could support us too. <laughs> you know, you could well, well, you could share the content or whatever." Like yeah. It, um, let me before but, I end off but, with but, Go uh, ahead. But, yeah. the, the, the,
2: I I haven't finished this, but I think. In the Western culture, it has this notion that you should spend money on art. Something like we get some once in a while. We get some donation, little like five dollars, twenty-five dollars on my website, literally. And uh, I would say, except three occasions, they're all non-Iranian. Interesting. They're non-Iranian, and or um, for instance, for my pop-up book, I went to find this uh, lady who was. a uh, very affluent uh, in the San um, uh, Alto and he has a collection of the pop-up book, and I thought it would be a best candidate to actually help me. You know, and she sat down to me she, when she she saw the pro uh, the prototype and said, "Oh, this is gorgeous, but this is deeply cultural project, and you should ask with all this Iranian in the, <laughs> the Silicon Valley to help you." And this is not that much money I was looking for, literally. Uh, thirty five thousand dollars and they uh, said this is really not much money and this is tax electoral you should ask them I I'd rather to spend my money for my own people you should get that from there so and then and then uh, when you go to back to Iran and say okay can you help me and then they have such a sometimes you they I mean it just horror story I have to tell you Gian the, the way that they interact with me it just horror the way that uh it's just sometimes I get literally, I physically became sick. I have sometimes get flu after meeting, (laughs) come back home, I sleep for two days because Mm. they, they, they put you in the very uh, degrading position and then also not helping you at the end. You know, it just, uh, I don't know, man, it is something that maybe the cultural psychologists should work on that. Mm. Not me. Uh, yeah.
0: It is, um, uh, as I said at the beginning of the interview, it's an honor to get to, to, to do this with you, Hamid. I mean, and l- before we go let me ask you a couple of uh, a more personal questions, uh, questions that might might make you feel put a smile on your face. I mean, this <laughs> one of the through lines of all of your work in recent years has been um, the fact that you do it in partnership with your life partner. And uh, your your wife, Melissa, has been working with yes, you, busy yes. creating award-winning documentaries, fiction films, uh, graphic uh, uh, designs, photography, literature for over two decades. Tell me about getting Melissa, who I would presume is not Iranian, uh, yes. interested in Shah Nahmeh.
2: Actually, she's the one who pushed me to do this. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know, it's it's a, it's a blessing, uh, you know, having Melissa. And you know, we're living together for twenty-one years, twenty-four-seven. Uh, you know, because we work together, and uh, it's I've been fortunate. i been just I feel I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth to have this kind of partnership because uh, this massive project it cannot be done uh, just one with one person. And if I always tell her that if she wouldn't be around with all this hardship, probably I would, probably would, be killed myself. <laughs> but <not. laughs> but she's holding, she's glueing the whole thing together. And in fact, the the, the she encouraged me at the, in two thousand and nine to do the Shahnama project uh, because uh, that was very funny. Actually, it was she has a very good sense of humor. Uh, we were invited uh, in Toronto. Actually, we we're in Toronto. Uh, showing our um, uh, documentary in some festivals. I don't remember, it was 2008. And uh, we invited to uh, a concert, it's been done. Um, about the Shachname. it was the narrator, Naqal came, and then this, uh, I think the Toronto Philharmonic was performing that. Yeah. Something like that is all very chic and very uh, prestigious, you know, with all the, the papillon and the uh, tuxedos, all Iranian with our best dresses. They, they feel this theater. Right. And then they started, and then like 10 minutes into the show, I got so bored, and I turned to me and said, you know, we have so much content we have so much sonic content visual content you have so many things to offer we're always looking at the western translation of ours the, our, our cultures and the, you know if, if the t- toronto philharmonic has to do something in order to be accepted on say um, and we sort of legitimize ourselves and melissa turned back to me said you Iranian, you always say we have we are this, we are that, we have this. So why don't you start doing it? That was twenty five hundred years ago. What about today? Would you just do it yourself today? You know, you just don't blame it to others. So it just kind of rang the bell in my mind. Said, okay, maybe I have to do something. Right. So that was that. That conversation basically inspired me and said, hey, okay, I will show you what I can do. So that was my answer to Minister. <laughs> <laughs> So it took me like over four, I mean, around four years, over 10,000 hours of sitting to create the first book. And because I was challenged by Melissa. We have to, we have <laughs> her I to think. that you should, you should do it yourself. And, uh, and, she, you know, she does basically does all the production. She puts everything together. And also she's the one who l- l- helped me to actually sit down like, I work like 12, 13, 14, 17 hours a day. And she's the one who creates that environment so I can actually focus on this uh, cultural building. And uh, and sometimes she comes to me, and it's because I, I told her, you know, you're American. Maybe you should approach Iranian. Maybe they look at you as a white person. <laughs> <laughs> they help. And she said, you know what, this is your culture. They should help you. It's not me constantly go asking yeah. people. It's uh, something that they should recognize that this is good for them, what I do. It's because, as I said before, my art is not just for the museums or the, uh, just the hanging on the wall. It just belongs to the community. And uh, and the community should come and rally behind me because I'm the one who makes them look good.
0: Mm. <laughs> when we started the interview, you, you at one point said... Um, when you came from Iran, you felt like an underdog. And for all the challenges that we've talked about that you have as, a, as an artist, as, a, as an Iranian artist, uh, and filmmaker, and graphic artist, et cetera, and producer, um, you know, you are widely considered at the top of your game. You've been honored in all kinds of ways, the Guggenheim, et cetera. Uh, do you still feel like an underdog?
2: Yes. Uh, these, these are awards. It's not grants. It's two different game. Uh, yes, I feel uh, whatever I do, I cannot get into the mainstream. It's very difficult. I, I don't see myself. I can get into. It. I mean, like the other day, I was telling Melissa that maybe I should have actually, when I migrated, we should have gone to France or somewhere because they appreciate art much more than here. I, I give you one example that why I'm saying that. My uh my pop up book. Uh, we, uh, we produced, when we released it in France in 20 days we sold out we had over 18 write up from Le Monde La Figaro here mm-hmm. and there we just mm-hmm. everywhere praised it and when we released it in America after a year and a half almost we got only one write up from the third great publication they don't even look at this stuff they all rejections all harm just only one. Or my even like all this uh, write up about the feathers of fire we got, we got when we had in France, we got more interest and more uh, appreciation of what I do than in America in the last uh, three years uh, it this is uh, I think this is the systematic thing it's not just me it's a it's a system that dictates we give you grants or we give you support if you say things that we like to hear, hmm. you know, if you don't say that you're, uh, you, you go through this up, um, like a battle, or like an upstream battle. You need to just be constantly, uh, the, because as I said, finding funding for making these arts are very complicated and that's, uh, I feel still, I feel I'm underdog, and I feel it to my bone every day. Uh, But all this, as as you said, you know, all this success uh, or award that they're giving to me, this is a different game. And uh, it's, but uh, again, I love what I do, and I keep continuing doing it, even cost my health and my (laughs) life. And uh, but because I feel I'm responsible for doing that because I feel uh, we have we have voice we have content to contribute to the the humanity and I think we should do it disregarding the politics of the day because that politics comes and goes but all culture remains you got it so that's why I feel I should contribute that because you know I have the skills and I have a little bit of taste Mm. and uh, yeah and, and I'm doing this for the new generation you know, for, I have a daughter, and I think she needs to have something to hold on to it and say, okay, this is is from my ancestors, or something like that, yeah.
0: Hamid Rahmanian, what a conversation. Thank you so much for this today. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for the work you. that you do. Yeah. And um, I hope to see more and see you soon.
2: Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate for your time and giving this opportunity to talk. Unfiltered. Rock.
0: (laughs) 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 Merci. Thank you. That's Hamid Rahmanian, the acclaimed filmmaker, graphic artist, Guggenheim Fellow. He joined us from New York today. Interesting and talented guy, Hamid Rahmanian. If you have comments or ideas or thoughts about that, uh, that conversation, especially the part about Iranians not supporting each other or supporting the arts uh, or this endeavor that's about our collective culture uh, and historical culture, um, love to hear from you. Info at rookmedia.com by email, or you can post on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, whatever your fashion Let's stick with the Shahnameh and go from New York to the other side of the United States. If, if you're curious what a genetically engineered Iranian American is, you might ask our next guest because that's exactly how he describes himself. Bruce Behruz Bahmani was born to an Iranian father and an American mother in the United States. His family then moved to Iran. He completed his secondary school in Iran in the 1970s, where he fell in love with both American comic books and epic stories of the Shahnameh. Decades after settling back in the United States when he was working on other cultural events relating to the Iranian-American community, Bruce teamed up with childhood friends and comic producers to make his literary vision of publishing the Shah Nameh in comic book or graphic novel style a reality. Right now, Bruce Bahmani joins me from the Bay Area in California today. Hello, sir.
4: Hi, Gian. How are you today?
0: Uh, i'm good i'm very happy to to have you on the program i've been enjoying spending my time with uh, the comic superhero form of rostam so uh we have lots to talk about um first things first you're sitting there in california tell me about being a a genetically engineered iranian american it sounds like a lab experiment so so (laughs) are you a lab experiment i think so um Uh, So
4: far so good there doesn't seem to be many defects uh, being uh, you know coming out But so there are some obviously, but uh, my parents they met in um, college in the United States So my dad was a foreign student from Iran and my mother was a foreign student from Germany And so they met in the foreign student union and then they got married and then I was born which makes me technically, you know a genetic experiment on (laughs) you know mixing Iranians and Germans and you know Growing them up in a bilingual family in Iran
0: so you you were born in the States and then you're then then the family picked up and moved back to Iran
4: right my parents were uh, finishing college when they got married um, which is always a uh, point of discussion and um, so uh, I was born in Lubbock Texas and you know, where my father went to university uh, Texas Tech University which is the premier oil uh petroleum engineering school in the United States at the time and so my father wanted to be an oil man in Iran because that was the big thing and so in the 60s we moved back to Iran and then um, I grew up basically from age 2 uh, age one and a half uh, in Iran and I'm what they call fully bilingual which means that I learned English and Farsi at the exact same time and spoke it my entire life.
0: So, so you, you moved from Lubbock, Texas to where in Iran?
4: We moved to Tehran.
0: Okay. So your <laughs> Lubbock is pretty it's pretty American, and uh, you yeah. uh, say probably. I'm guessing in the '60s or '70s when you were there, it's not it wasn't the most multiracial place in the world. So, so that's your experience. And then Tehran, um, mm-hmm. th- this is quite quite a du- duality. And mm-hmm. you are very uh, American, but you are somehow someone who is clearly connected to your Iranian roots. How were you first introduced to the Shahnameh? And at the same time, tell me about being a comic book fan in Iran in the 1970s
4: i'm very american right now talking to you so i can switch back and forth um almost in perfect diction um i'm really good at translations and now you can sort of see where this is going um so I grew up in Iran, going to school in Iran. I was studying Farsi as well as English and got both diplomas at the exact same time. So I'm, so basically my entire you know, existence is based on um, Farsi and English being equal. Um, I dream in Farsi uh, and in the middle of my dream I switch into English and then all the characters in my dreams start talking English after they stop talking Farsi. Really? Are you so, being yeah. serious?
0: Yeah. That's amazing.
4: Yeah. But not in full color.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so but you but you went by the time you were in iran and and a teenager mm-hmm. you're still enamored of american culture right you were or comic books
4: well i'm growing up with it because uh in tehran at the time you know during the 60s and 70s there was a real huge american influence i mean everything in iran even today is left over from the American influence during the '70s in Iran. Um, still today, the streets are in English. The shops, stores' um, names are in English. So Iran was heavily influenced by Americans. Um, you know, we used to get all the magazines and things like that. And then, um, as a teenager growing up in Iran, as a you know, as a youth, um, you know, you're exposed to comic book culture during the '70s, which was pretty high. And, um, uh, you know, skateboarding and, you know, tie dye shirts and these kind of, you know, puka shell necklaces and the whole deal. <laughs> right. So we're growing up a, we're growing up a very seventies, um, lifestyle. Um, we had American DJs, uh, doing the radio shows, the top 40 Casey Kasem's top 40. We had Wolfman Jack, um, one night, um, we wrote a letter with me and my friends we wrote a letter to Wolfman Jack who was a famous T J at the time I don't know if you remember him sure, um, and yeah. um, he um, and then months later because we used to listen to him all the time he used to play all the best music and he had a cool Wait, you voice wrote and,
0: a letter from Iran to Wolfman yeah, Jack we, we who was in LA or something yeah. I guess or New York yeah, said, or something
4: yeah, we said, Hey dude, we, we love your show. If you would just, you know, cause he would give shout outs. So, um, so one one night we're sitting around, you know, in, in Tehran and listening to, you know, Wolfman Jack late at night. And, uh, sure enough, he goes, Hey, I'd like to send a nice shout out to all my friends in Tehran, Iran. And wow. we all just lost it. Right. And, um, we were just, I mean, for weeks and months, we were just crazy with, uh, joy. So Iran was very Americanized. And so That's how I kept getting these comic books. Um, It was easy to get them. All the American families who lived in Tehran, you know, would always have them and we trade them and buy them and sell them and get them and all that kind of stuff. So here I am reading comic books during the weekends with, you know, cornflakes and, you know, cereal (laughs) on the weekends. And then during the weekday, I'm going to, you know, formal Farsi literature school and, uh, you know, these real hardcore Teachers are teaching us, you know, the impact, importance, and the significance of the Shahnameh and Ferdowsi, and and Hafez, and Saadi, and all the others, and and we were we we're basically being, you know, uh, um, inundated with information about Iranian literature, which is very deep and very vast. And so, I didn't know that I was programming myself um, for a future project, <laughs> but that's what happened. I'm learning Farsi and I'm reading comic books. That, it's
0: it's an interesting contrast because I, by the comic books, you, I'm assuming, given the work you've done with the Shahnameh, it, it, that the comic books for you that appealed to you were like uh, superhero, like were, were DC or Marvel comics, right? Not Archie comics. And, <laughs>
4: Uh, yeah, Archie Comics had their place because, you know, they had, um, you know, really good looking girls. And um, so you could watch those comic, you were reading those comic books for other reasons. But um, uh, all the kinds of comics we could get our hands on, we were reading. Um, Richie Rich, Little Lotta, Dot, uh, Hot Stuff, you know, all, the- all of the Marvel characters, which were not superhero oriented at the time. There was a whole bunch of, you know, comic books that were uh, more lighthearted. Um, and so we we're reading all those comic books and then on top of that you know, there's spider-man. There's Superman. Um, I really like Tarzan a lot because He was kind of civilized and then chose to go back to the jungle <laughs> and I love that idea It was a very good idea. Right. And then also uh, I was really influenced by Thor Thor is the god of thunder We've seen all the movies and Marvel's uh, has two, two or three films about him and uh, Thor was always very interesting for me because he was a cultural character and also he was kind of godlike and what I didn't know was the reason I liked Thor was because of Rostam was very similar and um, that was actually one of the you know target strategies I had with the comic book was to put Rostam up against Thor and uh, I wanted that to be the main sort of competitive angle for bringing Rostam to the comic book form was to say, "Well, you, we got Thor, so why can't we have Rostam?" And so
0: <laughs> let me I get to that. To let, me get that. To that. let me get to that. I'm sure. still thinking of you as a kid in your realm with the comic books, because when I was interview, when we just, speaking, just speaking to uh, Hamid uh, Rahmanian, you know, and and he's created these epic artworks, uh, theater uh, and, yeah. and pop-up books and yeah. all that to do with uh, Shahnameh. I mean, you know, he was saying as a kid. He really didn't like the shahnameh, he equated it with something dense and difficult and heavy and and that, uh, you know, that his father was force feeding uh, him. And uh, so I wonder, did you did you like the shahnameh at that time or did it feel daunting?
4: So I had, a, uh, so you know how teachers influence you, and you remember all your most influential teachers of and course. their beloved in your life, and you, to this day, I'm sure you have three teachers, maybe one from kindergarten, one from first grade, one from high school, that you just, I mean, they were just the coolest person on the planet. Of course. So we had a teacher by the name of Oreni Varani and Oreni was passionate. A uh, uh, Sean Amé fan, and so um, he pushed it on us and explained it to us and taught it in such a way that um, we really it really sunk in. Um, the uh, traditional Sean Amé is is told on the streets um, uh, in the form of what they call Naqali. and Naqali is where you know a um, a traveling salesman type guy. He's got these, you know, uh, you know, bed sheets that he's hand drawn. These pictures, and um, these are kind of odd looking. They're not very artistically correct. Their their dimensions are off, and, and they're they're weird. And um, then they would put up these little, you know, these little street side, you know, couche side um, presentations. And then people would, you know, gather around and then he would tell one of the stories of the Shahnameh and then people would throw coins on the floor. And that's kind of like busking for hmm. Amen. Hmm. And so he basically that that was the other way that it was being delivered. It was always a visual because the books, the, the, the books are poetry. I mean, they're, it's 60,000 verses. It's a large book and it, there's al- there's no illustrations. And so. It is so inspiring when you under, when you see the the visual of this story in your head yeah. that you can't help but be you know um, um, forced to draw it. And so there was a lot of people who drew Shauna Messines, and then these Naqals used to go around and basically deliver for money, uh, the stories of the Shahnameh, And so that's how, that's why what Rahmanian's doing is very akin to the old Naqali um, uh, presentations, except he's amped it up and he's brought it into this shadow puppetry, which is tremendous, and then there's video, and there's all kinds of effects, and it's just, it's still the inspiration of telling these stories that are usually just prose and written and poetry and you can't really, there's no pictures to go with it. Right. So people are just inspired to draw.
0: Nat Ghali almost sounds like vaudevillian, you know, like it's it's kinda... ag-
4: it, it is exactly the same yeah. as the Iranians version of vaudeville, except there aren't multiple acts. Now the guy who tells the story, he's got all these techniques and tricks, like he'll slap his hands together and, and he'll do his, you know,
0: his, he'll
4: say <laughs> And he slaps his hand, he makes all these animated sounds And the crowd really gets into it And a good naqal is worth his weight Because um, he would really get you excited about the storytelling And uh, I don't think this is a tradition anymore Although I don't think it ever died down It just sort of kind of goes away and comes back um, And this is, a, this is a genre of, of storytelling That unfortunately, the government in Iran kind of looks down upon. I think they think it's low class or it's kind of low end and they don't like it. It also harkens back to the whole, you know, it's pre-Islamic. Pre-Islamic yeah, tradition, yeah. which is you know, in, in many ways, you know, richer and more vibrant than s- sad old Islam, which is constantly you know mourning the death of this guy and that guy. There's almost no partying, and um, you know, Shauna was always about you know having a good time, and so um, it's it's uh, it's very very. <laughs> What's uh, important it wasn't
0: always about culture. having a good time? There's these oh, yeah, you know, epic horrible scenes of of oh, death yeah. and, well, yeah. but you know, afterwards, <laughs> hey, right. There, yes, you got to let loose. And uh, um,
4: uh, my favorite parts were the, the depictions of, you know, after a hard-fought battle, you know, and Rostam wanting to go lick his wounds and kind of recover, um, he would go off to the Sarzamine Turan, and and he would just hunting, and he'd live in caves, and he'd live out in the open and camp out, and he'd have a whole good old time for, like, years. <laughs> so, and then all of a sudden he'd get re-energized and come back right, to try right. another day.
0: So I want to get – I want to take step by step, <laughs> step how this – how the idea was sparked in you that this epic sure. work of literature, which you've talked about being visual in terms of seeing things, can be turned into a comic book. Um, so so, right. so, <laughs> where the genesis of these ideas came from in your mind and, and is there any natural correlation between, say, the, the mythical warrior, Rustam, that you've just described and mm-hmm. the universe of American comic book superheroes? Absolutely.
4: So basically... Um, it's the mid two thousands and I'm working in um San Francisco and I'm helping a buddy of mine run one of his um branches of um offering graphic design services to the dot com market, which had just picked up at that time. And so um Jamie Dorari, my, my childhood friend, um, had a business in LA and he wanted to expand to the Bay Area. So he asked me to open up a shop for him in San Francisco. And we were basically a, um, a pseudo uh, ad agency if you will and we worked with all the big names and everybody and so one day we get a request from the Chinese American business community association that wanted to put out a uh, non-smoking campaign for Chinese-American kids, uh, teenagers. And so they came to us and they said, yeah, what do you guys have for ideas? We want to kind of do something for that because it's becoming a problem. So we said, well, you know, you guys' culture is based on, you know, comics and comic books and you have a, you know, kind of a anime style. You know, there's Hong Kong animation. Everything's really anime related. It's it's kind of the same. I know anime is traditionally Japanese, but the Chinese love this form hmm. and we said yeah this might be a way to do it and so then i called jamie and i said listen you want to get some uh, of your uh, do you have any comic book uh, illustrators that we could show these guys and he sent me a book and the book was carl Allstetter's Carl carl had worked on tarzan he had worked on spider-man he had worked on all kinds of comic book projects as an illustrator and um this is the guy who draws the comic book in black and white and then there's the colorist and then there's the text guy, right? So there's always three pieces to a, to a puzzle. So I get his book. I'm looking through his book. And as I'm thumbing through the book, I come up, com, I come up on a picture. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, that kind of looks like Rostam's dad. Next page. Oh, that kind of looks like Rostam's mom. Next page. Hey, that kind of looks like Rostam. Hey, that kind of looks like Sohrab. And then by the time I f- flip to, the, to the, the last page, I'm like, wait, what just happened? Um, So I made a mental connection of the whole Rostam Shahnameh in four pages. And so now I'm kind of upset because my mind is spinning. And so, you know, I hand off the project to one of my managers and said, "Okay, here, go show this to the Chinese American business community. I think this is the guy. And then I go home and I'm basically like in tears because I don't really exactly know what happened. But basically in that process. And then it took me about a week to kind of recover from the emotional uh, trauma, which was that all of the Shaname was now crashing into my head with all of the imagery of the four pictures of the characters that I had just seen that were just random characters that Carl had drawn, you know, in his imagination of, you know, an older kind of superhero looking guy, an older lady superhero kind of looking lady Mm -hmm. an older uh uh, a rostam looking guy and a shot and a sorab looking guy and he didn't know why he drew those he just drew them because he liked to but i'm putting it all together and it took me about a week to process this until i kind of formulated the idea that wow wait a minute we could use carl and we could produce a comic book about the sean which has always been obvious but hidden from anybody's mind until just now and so um, it took me about a week to process it emotionally I mean I'm literally crying you know I'm John I'm I'm, I'm having like breakdown moments of processing all of the cultural impact and you know everything in my life is now why, why do you, sort think of you coming were,
0: together. Why, why, why do you think you were crying
4: well if you could read Farsi which I'd be happy to teach you one day but if you <laughs> could read the Shana, <laughs> um, it is very 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 um impactful. Mm-hmm. Um the uh there there's a famous um tradition of advice from expert Shanameh uh, um uh, people who will tell you don't don't read too much Shaname because if you read the whole thing um you will you will possibly go crazy because of the implications and the ideas that are being put forward in this mm-hmm. poem. So it's a very dangerous poem to fall into because you may not come back out. And so I realized that. Um, and then once again, when I started to spend that week to try to process this, I pulled the Shahnameh out. So I'm starting to go through it and I'm, you know, reading the Parsi version and I'm like looking up the Parsi words to make sure I understood them correctly. And it's not that hard if you speak Farsi, but it is, it is pretty in, intense. And then as I'm reading this, I'm going, oh my God, this is a well that you can fall into. And so, but um, oh, wait I a second. Hang, hang, hang limit on. Limit my hang, exposure.
0: Hang on, hang on. First of all, I do I do read Farsi just extremely slowly. So <laughs> so 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 the Shahnameh would probably take me uh, about a hundred years to read, but I could do it. You know, well, yeah. I literally it, have to sound out the letters as I'm reading it. You know, but well, secondly, it took, it took
4: 30 years to write it, so you may want to get started. But right. No,
3: just, <laughs> um, that's right. It is, Thank uh, you, Fair um, i I, I,
0: might, I might not start with the Shahnameh. No, <laughs> you know, if I were, but um, that, but but start other with thing, the comic books. That'll, but that'll, that's that'll, right. That'll well, I, 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 I have already. I have. No, I mean, I I've read the Dick <laughs> Davis version, et cetera, But but do, do you? Uh, the, the part that is surprising to me is that this epic piece of work I mean if somebody came to me as a musician right now and said hey Gian, can you write? Uh, eight songs, you know, write write an album based on the Shana I would I would find that Intimidating because it's there's so much there and it's and it's poetically done etc uh, Did you I mean was there a moment where you sort of thought, well, well, I can't possibly uh, funnel this epic into comic book form as the writer of this?
4: Yeah, so what I knew what after after the week of just kind of walking around and looking up into space, I realized that I definitely didn't want to do the whole book, that that was going to be impossible. Um, I didn't. I also didn't want to even try to do that because there's some 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 sections of the book which are so um, you know so revered and so important that to even to attempt to homage them would just come out insulting. So, but I did know that there were um, action adventure stories, and I knew which ones I liked the most, and I knew that that was going to limit my um, project focus on it in terms of adaptation. And so I knew that I could do it after about a week, I kind of like went through and I said, Oh, that's a good one. Oh, we can't touch that. Oh, this is a good one. Oh, let's stay away from that. You know, so I kind of identified. And then as I started to put it together, I was like, I gotta have a strategy. I gotta have like a, I gotta have a plan for this because it's not going to work if I just kind of start the beginning and then, you know, hope that the audience or the readers will stick with it uh, until we get to the good stuff, you know, this kind of thing. I said, we had to, we had to launch it in, in order for it to really Take effect, and my goal with this was to stimulate the Iranian American or the Iranian diaspora uh, in um, uh, into rereading this or rediscovering this because Mm. we had been so beaten down with being told that the one true the one true Iran was the Islamic Islamic Republic's version, and that you know it's pointless to try to argue against it because you know you get in trouble. So here was a comic book that basically shattered the entire premise of the Islamic Republic and also at the same time reminded everyone that no, 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 no. Before Islam even came anywhere near us, we had this whole treasure chest of culture and um, it is important and you can't just forget it. And so my goal was to have exactly like Rahmanian said, his dad force it on to the kids. But in a more modern, cool way, which which I thought the comic book form would be ideal for Iranian-American, you know, Iranian-Canadian kids. We have a lot of fan base in Canada, by the way. And so we basically wanted this to be done in a way where, you know, dad could see something cool and then show it to, you know, Gian Kuchulu and say, here you go. Um, Mm. This is something that I grew up with. And then not only that. But that grandpa who's now living with us now maybe can come in and say, "Oh, you know how I used to read these," and then now we have a whole family um, getting, you know, coming around um, this little comic book, and now it's digestible. It's easy to talk to, and now it opens up the discussion. Um, yeah, so my, my my dad was my, my, was, my, my, was
0: my plan. My dad probably wouldn't show me this. He would be like, "You should you should read shah Shod- shahnamer." Shod- Shod- Why you are reading this? You know, he, yeah, he, but, he would, but you know, but, I guarantee
4: what I guarantee what he will do is he will tell you one story. That isn't in the comic book. Right. Right. That's the goal. That was right. the objective. And but, so I thought, you know, this would be great because um, that way, that way, it invites everybody to contribute to the to the discussion. And the kids are reading one story, and then that stimulates dad. It stimulates grandpa. And now everybody's talking. It,
0: so it, it occurs to me that when you know before something becomes a success and is into existence the way your comic uh, books ended up being. Uh, when the idea is, is still uh, germinating, when, when you're still telling people about it, maybe, maybe when you were seeking funding, I'm curious if you had any resistance um, from Iranians or Iranian-Americans or people in the diaspora <laughs> saying, you know, this sounds like you could be Turning the Shauna man to a joke or this won't fly or Mm -hmm. this isn't Mm -hmm. something cool or uh, what what kind of reaction did you get before you actually launched it?
4: So, yeah, so um, as as with anything, your problem is always going to come up with the older generation. So whenever you're dealing with the older generation, that's when sparks tend to fly when you start to, you know, tread on, you know, a national treasure. So, um, what I would do is I would, um, so we launched the first book and, you know, again, the strategy was a very star Wars strategy. Let's start with the, let's start with the best story first and then let's go back in time and then let's go forward in time on book two and three and so that's a, that's what I did because I wasn't sure that even book one was going to work because it's such a tragic story but I knew it was the most important story and if I was going to kind of nail it I needed to make sure that we got the main story out and that was that was the biggest one and so then um, with book two and three it was easier so once I got book one out there everyone was okay because I was actually honoring the most important story the most famous story and no one could hold that against me and so that was fun. Then what I decided to do now, I've I always consulted with the top Sean on my experts that I could find who could guide me if I had a question. I I just wasn't really um, 100 percent forthcoming about what I was up to. And who are they? They're all over.
0: Like uh, academics or. or who? who, yeah. Yeah.
4: Everyone is a self-professed expert, so you just have to find the person that you would agree with. And if I didn't agree with what I thought I was reading, because I have a pretty good interpretational, you know, capability on the genre, man. so I would sometimes, you know, go, yeah, I don't think he's talking about women being, you know, um, uppity. I think he's talking about something else. And then I would notice that the person had a bias against women or had a bias against, you know, the woman's places where da, da, da. and I go, ooh, OK, this I got to stay away from this guy. But then I would go off and find another one. And then often they would contradict each other. And I love that because I'm like, OK, there's two interpretations here so I can have a third one if I need to. And then I would just kind of sort it out logically to make sure that I wasn't doing anything. Now, I'm already confined with the comic book format, which is 29, 39 pages. It's got to be a certain size. It has to have a certain structure. It has to have a certain vocabulary. And um, so I'm going to have to cut corners just just out of necessity, so I'm okay. And all I wanted to do was just make sure that if there was areas that I was, you know, treading on that I didn't know were dangerous, that I would identify those and those experts would then help me do it. There are khuni classes, there are shahnameh Khuni clubs, there are Shahnameh preservation societies all over the world and all over the internet. And I used to use people from England, I used to use people from inside Iran, I used to use people from Canada and I used to use people from the United States. And um Basically, I would just kind of have my little go to collection of experts that I you know, relied on. And if I had any questions, um, but again, I'm already constrained. So basically, there was no objection except whenever when the books came out and the mistake and the misinterpretations were uh, one. The Actually, it was a guy in Canada and he published a long article in one of the Iranian newspapers in um, Toronto and said, um, how dare these. Charlatans from Los Angeles <laughs> um, uh, uh, turn the Rostam and Sohrab tragedy into a comedy, and then he went on and on and on about how sad the story was and how it was tragic and all this stuff. And then I and I'm reading this and I'm like, where is he getting comedy from? I don't understand comedy. So I contact the publisher and I said, you know, I kind of uh, object to this this article and I want to write a uh, you know a rebuttal. And he says, oh, that would be great. It would be good for sales. I said, yeah, whatever you want. But I I need to write a rebuttal. So I said, but before I do that, I just need to confirm, you know, why he thinks it's a comedy. Because I assure you, at the end of the comic book of Rostam and Saurabh, Rostam kills Saurabh. And it is violent and it is horrible Right So I don't understand where there's any comedy to it We specifically did not put any wisecracking No, you know, I mean, we didn't put anything in there so You weren't changing
0: the elemental story No you, right, right. So
4: I call, So finally he gives me the phone number And I call the guy And he's an old guy And he's older and, and I, you know, respected him And I was very respectful And I said, listen, I just want to make sure Why are you saying, you know, comedy? Um, and he says, comic I said, Ahmad, it's not comic comedy. It's comic. <laughs> what are you right. talking? You know. So, so he, he, heard, he heard he heard
0: comic and thought that that means that it's comic so, book means it's going to be a a, a comedy. A,
4: a comic like right. a stand up comic or I mean I don't understand. Anyhow, so I realized it was an innocent mistake, but then meanwhile he had just trashed the whole project. <laughs> so I said, you know, uh, right. you know what? Um, I'm not going to write the rebuttal. But you know who is? And he said, who? I go, you. <laughs> so I made him write a rebuttal and clear the clear our name. Wow. And then I realized that I needed to go around and find all the old folks' homes and all the old folks' associations and all the old folks who gathered around and made sure that they didn't take a you-know-what on the project whenever they saw it without understanding what it was. And so what I did was I went to um, all of these groups. I, I probably went to 20 older generation Iranian organizations and clubs and groups and gatherings and um, said, I just wanted to show you a project that we've done, and I think it'll be very interesting for you to see how we've taken the old and made it new again. And that's all I told them. And then when they saw it, they almost always loved it.
0: The thing that surprised me, actually, was that there was – hearing that there was actually, once you launched this, and this is in the mid-2000s, the first volume, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of interest in the series from within Iran. Did that surprise you? Uh,
4: My position was always I'm against the Iranian government in terms of I disagree with the form of government that the Iranian government has proposed to the Iranian people. I don't think it works. I don't think it has worked. I think it's a big, a bad idea. And but I'm not in the business of violently overthrowing that government. I'm just I'm just going to politely um, um, object to it. And so that doesn't mean that anybody in Iran who is living under those conditions is complicit. It, they might be, but it's it's also not they're not the ones putting out this, this this garbage as a form of government. So I was always willing to work with any Iranian in Iran. I was always happy to talk to any Iranian in Iran. And then one day, one of my uh, family members who still lives back in Iran he sent me a package, and I get this package, I open it up, and it's Hamshadi magazine. And Hamshadi magazine at the time was basically the USA Today of Iran. It was all color. It was the first ma- newspaper to print in color. And then I'm looking through the, through the newspaper. I'm like, why the hell is he sending me this? Well, right in the middle, a full page was dedicated to the comic book project with with screen screen grabs of the of the pictures and they published it all in full color. They had everything in there and they were, they were talking about how these these people in the United States had, you know, uh, created this wonderful comic book. They, they talked very good about it. And, um, you know, then they made the mistake of, you know, um, claiming that that we were trying to compare Rostam to the Hulk. <laughs> and i'm like ah, i don't think you should have said that but right. so then i contacted the publisher again and i contacted the writer and i said look why didn't you contact me i could have given you better pictures i could have given you better access i could have answered all your questions and um you know you wouldn't have made your mis assumptions and you would have you know you would have gotten the, the scoop on the on the details and I would be happy to talk to you he goes, oh we didn't know you guys want to talk to us I'm like well God damn it you don't need to be so you know <laughs> just do it man so I so we got that cleared up and then they you know we, we talked from then on and um, I also strategically designed this project so that I could publish it in Iran one day so for example the design of the artwork and um, and Gian we spent I spent five years, designing uh, co-designing and working with the designers to come up with unique armor that had never been drawn before unique Swords and knives and fighting instruments and bows and arrows that had never been drawn before, um, unique decorations of costumes and outfits and clothing that had never been drawn before, unique designs of the castles and the you know the the structures, and um, specific care was given to make sure that we showed Iran to be. A four-season country with mountains and snow and rivers and forests, pine forests, for example, and also that it wasn't just a desert landscape with a bunch of camels running around. You know, right. you know, uh, lili lili and so we wanted to make sure that we shattered the illusions and shattered the stereotypes that have been put out that this was a desert culture and blah blah blah. So, um, so we have so each epi- each book was dedicated to a season. And the the region and the geography was designed for that season, so we basically wanted to show the real Iran and to show that it was very varied in its in its uh, scope. We're doing all this, and the strategy of the books were that we could publish these in Iran, as you know. That you know, Iran reads left to right, and English reads right to left. So we want to make sure that when we flip the images, it would uh, it would work. And so we never show anything that we couldn't um, reshow in Farsi orientation um, and then have it be printed. So all of the bubbles, all of the um, the, the, the thought clouds and all of the, 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 the everything was set up so that we could strip it out easily, send it to Iran and they could, they could put their own bubbles and their own thought clouds in there and then put in the Farsi text. The only rule that I had was that if an Iranian publisher wanted to do this, he had to do it in the form yeah. That we had done it in, which was a very colloquial, I want to say, Kuchayi Lati type of English. And we didn't want it to be formal Farsi. We didn't want their Moshamal Ishan, this kind of thing. And we didn't want any of it to be taken from the actual poem. It was supposed to be an interpretation dialogue, and it was supposed to be dialogue form and street dialogue and guttural and Iranian.
0: But were you willing to do it in Farsi?
4: so so i was looking for iranian partners inside iran who wanted to take this on and if they wanted to the, they had all the rights they would they could sell all the coffee mugs and t-shirts and any other product they wanted to they could keep it all for themselves all they had to do was agree to one of my one term which was i needed you to write it in normal farsi street farsi uh Kuchayi farsi and i do not want it to be written in formal you know official you know uh, shanamese and so I didn't uh, allow that. And so a lot of people tried and they said, you know, we got to, we can't, we have to, this is the way Iran is. I go, well, that's the problem with Iran is that people don't talk to each other normally. They always talk to each other overly formally and that becomes insulting. And then people walk around insulting each other in formal Farsi and no one actually talks. So this book is supposed to bring people together. And if we can't bring people together on, on the language used in the book, then I don't want to, I'm not going to let it happen. I'm sorry. I just this is my okay. vision for the project, and I'm I, I can't tell you how clear it is to me that this has to be done. This way.
0: I, I asked you about the the interest in the series from within Iran, and and you talked about uh the the magazine and and some of the formal uh, prospects of publishing it there. But uh, I heard that you also had you you were contacted by regular Iranians and like Iranian kids and stuff online who were interested mm-hmm. in this, and I wanted to get your perspective on whether you think there is an increasing fascination in Iran's pre-Islam identity in post-revolution generations in Iran?
4: Um, One night I get a call, and I'll never forget this because it was really impressive. One night I get a call, and there's a young kid on the other end, and he's a college student, and he says, "Um, I just want to call you and tell you that um, uh, I was going to kill myself. And I said, what are you talking about? Why, why, would, why would you ever want to kill yourself? He goes, well, because I had really no hope um, that I would ever be able to, you know, to do anything in animation or, you know, uh, illustration or comic, you know, comic book related, you know, um, animations and stuff like that until I read your comic book. And I said, "Wow, what do you mean?" Wow. He goes, "Well, you know, if my parents are encouraged me to go get a, you know, an engineering degree and computer science degree and all this stuff, but I always liked to draw and I was really good at it, and I, you know, and and um, so now I just wanted to let you know that as a result of seeing um, an Iranian comic book, it has given me the confidence that I can be an Iranian animator, I can be an Iranian animation um, uh, uh, professional." and now i know more than ever what i'm going to do with my life and i just want to let you know because i was at my wits end keeping this issue and trying to figure out and my parents had essentially kicked me out of the house and um have said if you're not going to study engineering and computer science and you can't you can't live here anymore he goes so but i've never been happier in my life and i said look anything you need anything i can do you just tell me and i will help you i will do anything i can if you want me to, i'll send you money i don't care what it is whatever you need you let me know And just follow your, you know, passion. And I think you'll be successful even in Iran. Well, fast forward to today, if you go to Iran and just, you know, start poking around the animation world in Iran, there's like 15 Shahnameh. adaptation animation projects there's a bunch of 3d people doing work on 3d animation there's a bunch of cg activity going on so iran has obviously because they're talented has exploded in the area of animation and cartooning and all this kind of stuff and some of the funniest cartoons you'll ever see in your life because you have an iranian sense of humor are iranian cartoons i mean iranian animated cartoons to an iranian to a person who has that iranian sense of humor are are the most funniest thing you've ever seen there's mm. no other way to connect and so it has I feel good about that moment in my life because um I was really worried and it had a happy ending and so so
0: Bruce with with all of that momentum uh you release four volumes of this Rostam uh, comic book series why did you stop at volume number four
4: The three books that we started—the kind of the Star Wars model—the you know start in the middle and then go back and then go Um, forward—that was my main, um, my main objective. That was the only thing I wanted to do. I wanted to do three books, Star Wars style, get rid of the Shaanami, get get rid of the Rostam Sora tale, and then go back one and then go forward one, and then that would sort of do a prequel sequel um and that should stimulate everyone to do it. This was really largely an experiment and a project for me to kind of like not go crazy and to kind of process what was happening to me with Shauna Man comic books and that's the way I could express it.
0: It's so interesting to talk to you. It's such a it's such a a great journey that you went on and you, you're so good at telling the story. Let me ask you this before I let you go. You you're an Iranian American living in the, in the States, a, a genetically engineered half and half person, <laughs> as you say in the diaspora. Um, th- this has, Bruce, this has been a, a time of profound loss, of, of outrage, of sadness, of turmoil in both Iran and the United States for all kinds of reasons. Where, where's your heart these days?
4: Well, if I go back to the message, the greater message of the Shahnameh, there's a debate and a discussion as to, you know, why is Rostam always depicted as this giant? I mean, he's not even normal sized. He's always like, you know, eight to nine feet tall. Hmm. And he's just actually a giant. And, um, and that's why, that's one of the reasons nobody can ever defeat him. And one of the main... Um, One of the main um, through lines in Rostam is that whenever he's asked about, well, dude, you're so strong and powerful. And these kings that you keep reporting to and kind of helping out whenever they screw things up and you have, you know, you keep coming back to defend, you know, their bad actions. You know, why don't you just take over? You could be a better king than any of these guys. You know, you love Iran more than anyone. And there's always this discussion, why doesn't in the storyline, why doesn't Rostam ever take over? You know, because he could. And um, I think that the reason is that Rostam is not really a person. It's not a character. What Rostam is, is he is the um, definition of Iranians, all Iranians. Mm. He's the representation of all of Iran because he's very true. He's very dedicated, he's very loyal, he's very strong, and he's very big, and he's very powerful, and no one can ever defeat him. And if you think about those metaphors and you apply it to the Iranian people, you, it makes total sense. And so Rostam is actually, in my mind, the, the result of the Iranian people continually, in spite of all the bad kings and rulers that we've had, um, defending Iran— to the very end, and doing whatever it takes, making whatever sacrifice, fighting until the last breath to defend what I would call the ideal concept of Iran. It might not be the practical concept of today's Iran, but there is an ideal. And if you think about this, and if you look at the Iranian people today, and and even yourself, you know that there is something in you, and there's something in every Iranian that is deep down um, defending the vague or the generic concept of what Iran means, for sure. And everyone will tell you uh, what they. Everyone will tell you this: that they are diehard, that they will they will defend Iran. And I think that's what the message of the Shahnameh is: is that what it is is really is the the depiction of a of a hero myth, a mythical hero, that is actually meant to be a message to all of us that says, you know, we're all we're all down and and more importantly collectively we are stronger than anything any king or any power or any tyrant or any oppression can throw at us because we're undefeatable um, as long as we stick together and as long as we are deep in our hearts you know Iranians you know true to our 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 nature and um, you see this you see this in Iran's response to the pandemic you see you see the Iranian people you see that in the 2009 demonstrations you see that in Iranians all over the world just stepping it up and when it when when the time comes when Iran is under attack when Iran is being threatened Iranians step forward and in their own way collectively they defend Iran as their duty regardless of who the king is at the time and that's exactly what Rostam's mission
0: statement was. Beautifully said, that's very, 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 very nicely said. Although we don't always act as a collective, that's for sure. Well, <laughs> Wait, and, so, so and, that and, part and,
4: and Rustam screws up a lot of times, right? Right, right. right.
0: <laughs> it's so good to talk to you. I, I don't know if I get a vote, but I do hope there's a volume five personally.
4: <laughs> well, maybe you never know. <laughs> there's plenty of material to, to do from. Um, the other thing that I wanted to let people know is that you know, we don't hold any kind of copyright or any kind of like, you know, domain dominion over this thing. This is everybody's. And if anybody wants to develop the comic book or if they want to move, you know, if they want to do something on it, all they have to do is just get a hold of me and I'll be happy to help them with every resource and everything we have.
0: That's really cool.
4: At their disposal. Yeah. We don't, we're not, we're not in this for the money. We're in this for, you know, my sanity and then basically, (laughs) um, have it pay for itself, which it, which it has many times over.
0: Bruce, thanks for doing this today.
4: Thank you, Gian. Best of luck. I love
0: your show. Bye-bye, sir. Bye-bye. That is writer, graphic novelist, Shah Nami and comic book fan, Bruce Bahmani. He joined us from Bay Area in California today. Okay going to go out on a suggestion from Bruce a reminder of his 1970s Iran experience with the American influence uh, this is some psychedelic rock from Kuroshi Akmai and a song called Boruna I'm guessing from the mid 70s thanks for the suggestion Bruce because it's uh, I've been listening to it for the last couple of days and uh, the breakdown in the middle with the psychedelic guitar not going to lie a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to Rook today. Thanks to the little team that puts this together, the amazing team. Info at RookMedia.com I'm Gian Gomeshi. Mizun
1: دستامون روی شونه ها تو بارونا تو بارونا بارونا میان پای از نابدونا خیز بیشن گلای توی باکچه بارونا آواز سبز بلدونا خیز بیشن گلای توی باکچه